This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey, folks. Welcome to the uh, Dennis Miller Option. I'm joined by my always punctual sidekick, Christian Blatt. Christian? Hey, Dennis. <laughs> That's not bad, Lindsay. Think, I mean, that of course, that of course, the show's Gun Mall, or is it Mole? What do they say in old Bonnie and Clyde things? It's always G U N M O L L. I think it's Mall. She's a Mall. Uh, Lindsay Floyd. That's me. And Christian is on his way in. I think <laughs> uh, he had to take uh, Felix to uh, gifted children's school. Because that boy is smart. How does Christian ever bring the kids in? I told him he should bring them, but he said this job is too boring for them. Can you believe it? Jesus. I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask that because I agree with the kids. No. Um, <laughs> I'd be so excited. <laughs> well, they're the cutest kids, folks. I don't know if you've seen them. They're a, a beautiful mix of uh, whatever... Christian's wife is and whatever he is. <laughs> I think she's from uh, one of the islands Brando owned. And Christian is from some fucking... Borough? Yeah. No, some obese fjord. <laughs> Wait, that's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> he was Eric the Viking sous chef or something. <laughs> his lineage. So he'll be in in a few seconds. He's running a little late, but I had to jump on him. Who's on today? We've got Ben Shapiro today. Oh, beautiful. So we can have grown-up talk with a man half my age. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, I've given up. And I, I have not watched a second of this debate. I will, or whatever it is, a uh, debate. Impeachment. Right. I won't. I think it's bullshit. I think it borders on treasonous. I'll ask Ben about that. I think, uh, I think from here on in, we should impeach every president. That's what I would encourage. Because, uh, you know, when Pelosi goes on, and says he's impeached forever and turns it into a little parlor game like that where they mark him like Hester Prynne with the scarlet letter. I say that we do this to every president from here on in and around 44 presidents out from now when they've all been impeached, this too will become just pro forma. So that would be my, uh, uh, whoever the next Democrat is should definitely be impeached. And then I understand they'd want to do the next one, and I, it wouldn't matter to me. Let's just start impeaching every president. Let's do it as quickly as we can. And let's start. Uh, I do agree that we should tap all their phone calls from here on in. They have set some precedents here with Trump. I'd like, to, I'd like to have a streaming channel where I can hear all the president's calls, if that's how silly we're going to get. Because certainly of assholes like uh, Adam Schiff, and this moron, you know, Tweedle dumb shit, Jerry Nadler. Imagine getting a band surgically put into your stomach and still being a fat fuck. It's what, what I hope. What's for. the? <laughs> but what sort of what sort of band did they put in? It's not like a. It wasn't one of those ones that comes from an engine block and you know goes around. It must have been just the. It must have been a bread twist. See, oh. that was the problem. Uh, Jerry couldn't even stop eating during the band surgery. And much like Kramer in the Seinfeld episode with the junior mint, 
the bread <laughs> twist fell into the massive Jabba the Hutt-like stomach cavity when he was pulled open. And, uh, or I don't know, is the band one of those things? It seems like you have easy egress to any part of your body from your penis head, which is such an irony for men, where you'll hear about these amazing surgeries where they'll say, well, they uh, took out his gallbladder. And you go, really? Uh, did they have to cut? No, no, they go in through your, you know, they have coaxial cable. You can get Netflix through your penis head now. Well, I wouldn't advise it, but uh, I think, hang on. Yeah. Game of Thrones just came on a good feeling. And uh, let's sit back with a Jeroboam of cranberry juice. But, uh, yeah, I think we should have a streaming channel uh, where you can just listen to the president's talk. Because, boy, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had the Valerie Jarrett, Barack Obama phone calls and anybody could put them up at any time from the... uh, I'm going to continue to call it the deep state. I know (laughs) you can see what they do is things exist... And they move it over to the paranoid column, and they've moved deep state, any sort of reference to an entrenched bureaucracy in the government that supersedes all parties and stays there, but seems to be almost to a 95-degree sign-up rate Democrat. And I don't say Democratic anymore. (laughs) Somebody did point out to me that Democratic has nice images to a Democrat. It's the shithead thing. They do stay there. And what they do is they eventually move the phrase deep state over into the tinfoil hat column. Like if you say it, you're, you're a nutter. Uh, they move Benghazi over there. And, uh, you know, serious issues. What they do is they, uh, uh, boy, God, do I love the fact that Donald Trump has just flipped the whole bullshit Jenga tower over down there. He just points it out. I saw him today uh, again saying something about, ah, Nadler's insane. And <laughs> Nadler is insane. You look at Jerry Nadler and tell me, I, would you let him watch your grandkids? Come on. He's nuts. Just a big, fat, stupid fuckhead who could not play or resonate anywhere except in the weak cheese world of politics where you have to remember that most of the kids walking down the hall around you acting like you're Aristotle are trying to get college credits. You know, anytime the Greek chorus, some sort of behavior is demanded on their part for them to complete coursework, you don't have fawning acolytes, quite frankly. You have people who are up against it and can't say anything. And, you know, I've got uh, kids in college, and I'm telling you, there are times where my kid will tell me about something and I'll just say, don't say anything. Or if they asked you and, you know, agree in the most egregious, I call it, in the most uh, fawning terms. They'll know that you don't quite mean it because you're so effusive and they can't say you said anything. But it, it, folks, uh, colleges, you see how screwed up colleges are now. I would tell you that I wouldn't send your kid to college. I'd say you've got four years here to beat out kids who, quite frankly, are going into a touchy, feely, uh, you know, as I've often said, I got a job at my local college as a safe space lifeguard. I jump in when they're drowning in their own bullshit. And I would tell a kid, you've got four years here where you can get in the real world, build contacts, establish a resume, because somebody who's getting out of Oberlin with a uh, environmental philosophy thing, people... Uh, certainly might uh, shake their head to that because they don't want to be accused of being anti-environmental or anti-woman or anti you know, whatever you want to bring up. 
But uh, a real businessman, when the door shuts behind them, immediately crosses that name off. They, they, it's too ethereal. You need somebody who's actually got some skills. And it reminds me of that story. Years ago, when uh, Truman Capote always liked to date rough trade, and he was dating some tradesman from uh, wherever he had his place, uh, be it Fire Island or somewhere upstate, I forget. There's a great story about Brando going up to Tennessee Williams's place, and <laughs> that Gadge Kazan sends him up to help him with a water heater, <laughs> and ostensibly to get the role of Stanley. Brando puts it off for a week, goofball that he is, and completely indifferent to the whole social ramble and the chasing it. Eventually goes up, opens the door, and I think that uh, immediately after I'm here to fix the thing, I'm sure. I can see Williams just say, I think I found Stanley. But anyway, uh, Capote goes over. He's on the Amalfi Coast in Italy during the summer, and he takes over some kid. And they used to make sport of the young tradesmen that Capote would date, and they'd all sit there, Contessa, Visconti, you know, all those goofy names. And uh, tell jokes, uh, witticisms at the dining room table in front of their gold-plated goblets. And when the kid would kind of not get it, they'd, you know, all do whatever the equivalent of, uh, you know, when you're wearing a tiara, it's it's harder to do the over-his-head thing. But I'm sure there were many little muffled laughs about what a shithead hoi polloi, you know, Truman loves, you know, Truman loves the stupider the better. And then they're in the villa, and the air conditioning breaks down, and all of a sudden, they're all Eloy, who don't do anything, and he's the only one who knows how to, you know, <laughs> fix the air conditioning. <laughs> so I always love that image. So, when, you know, when I think about these guys in the uh, in the Senate, in the, the House, they're all contested the Bogazze and stuff like that. They, they don't know what the hell are they. Why are you in there? Unless you're an idiot. I mean, really, trust, it's like Groucho's old thing. I don't trust any club that would have me as a member. I don't trust politicians because I, I, I don't know how you get led to the presumption that you should speak for people, especially when they're found wanting in so many ways. I don't look at Adam Schiff and go, thank God I've got somebody brighter than me in there and more secure in their own skin speaking for me. The people I'd want to vote for are the people who would say, Christ, never at gunpoint would I become a politician. Then I'd say, geez, can I vote for you? But all these needy morons, all these, it takes, that's the, you can, you can look at each person that I see standing behind these row of mics being posited by the society at large as important. I can almost look at their, uh, their insecurity tell within 30 seconds. All you have to do, sometimes you can look at them and know exactly what their problem is. Uh, like Patty Murray. Do you, do you, you know, I look at Patty Murray and it, it takes you five seconds to think. <laughs> she can't believe she's powerful. Uh, you know, it's the mouse that roared or the mousey that roared. And then there are other guys I at least have to hear speak for around 10 seconds and then you get their thing. But uh, I don't view them as leaders. I don't view them as anything to look up to. I don't view them as... This whole thing about having a protectorate around them is so, God, most of them are cloaked by their own inconsequentiality. Now, granted, I guess they're nuthouses, nutcases in the world, but most of them I see, most of the nuthouses, nuts I see on a day-to-day -day basis are in the 535 anointed up on the hill. So it's, it's not like I think they have to 
keep themselves. Just the fact that they all get an assigned driver and cars and all that bullshit. It's sickening. They're shitheads. I don't know what we are. We're shitheads for following shitheads or acting like shitheads are important. But I am not playing to a large degree now, and it feels great. I feel less embarrassed for myself when I start taking people like that seriously. I, I do take Ben seriously, but Ben, ben and I are I, God, Ben must be in his mid-30s and the game's afoot, and he, I think he owns his own platform. I'm sure he's getting wealthy and he still wants to fight the good fight, but uh, I don't anymore. I don't, I don't give a shit. I view Trump as the last mail station. Uh, we'll see. What is it? How many days now? We'll see where the country goes. I, you know, I don't, I don't do that thing where every election is the one. But this is the one. We'll see where the country goes. And I'm not going to do what they do and say it'll turn into a Hitler-esque hell. But it'll turn into a bullshit, top-heavy system where a few people make decisions. And it translates down. I don't see rat cages coming down the road. But I do see a bunch of people who wouldn't use rat cages on somebody's face because they say it would be unfair to the, uh, <laughs> the rat. There would be animal torture. That's what I see coming down the road. All those shitheads that you see on a daily basis checking boxes and making sure everything's like manically diverse and everything. And, uh, you know, it's like Quebec with genitals or something that uh, everything has to, even a Bazooka Joe comic has to be printed in two languages, fortune on a, you know, bubblegum comic in Quebec down here that I have to take time on everything I say that has always up to this point been man, woman, he, she, Adam, Eve, and I have to add something and act like there's just as many people who are currently transitioning and call them they. And can I tell you, left to my own devices, whenever I would see somebody in the news over the years who was transitioning, I always felt an empathy for them, especially man, woman. I, I, you know, I, the, man, the woman, man thing. Never really hit me till Cher's kid, I guess. And I used to think of her as that beautiful little girl. And then I thought, well, that's such a big move for her. But mostly men, just something about uh, maybe it's Freudian stuff, castration, castration complex, or maybe it's the idea of uh, getting clipped when you're a kid. Something primal in the hard drive about, uh, you know, getting kicked in the balls hurts the most. There, there's a whole thing centered in there to think that you want to take that off. At such great cost. Whenever I saw people like, when we were young, we'd go to the drive-in and the B-movie was about Christine Jorgensen, you know, ostensibly because that's where you had to get your softcore porn and was in documentaries about people going to Sweden to become women. And then Renee Richards, Richard Raskin, other people. I always felt a, a sympathy for them and thought, geez, for a guy to get to that point, he must mean it. And I always assumed they were just this shy of suicidal. And instead of cutting their wrists, they cut their cut their penis off and then I always I took that very seriously and felt great joy for them when I'd see them in their new guise and enjoying their life I think of course a person should do that but now that it's turned into the cause du jour now that you hear stuff about people with six and eight year olds push that is grisly to me I'm sorry the two things can't exist I I I don't I can't even remember anything in my life from six to eight I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somewhere in there you get your first memories. But to think that you're making a decision for the rest of your time on the planet about are you a man or a woman is... We didn't even get our sex talk till eighth grade, I think. So all that stuff I find disheartening. It's driven me away from the 
public uh, to a large degree to participating in the the Frabba Jabba, but Ben's still in the belly of it. I think he's one of the most informed people in the belly of it, and uh, we'll talk to him later. But in the interim, um, has little C.G. Blatt arrived? Hey, Dennis. First time, long time. Uh, my question for you, <laughs> why can't it be Bazooka Jane? I'll take your answer off the air. <laughs> Bazooka Jane, wasn't that Rose McGowan's uh, character? <laughs> didn't she? Her right leg was a howitzer. Who would have known that she was such a pistol? <laughs> oh, God, that whole, I mean, really, I've given up on it. The whole thing's so uh, unctuous, isn't it? I, imagine thinking to yourself, I've got to sit down and invent a word that expresses how I feel about it that's more than unctuous, because unctuous always covered most of that crap. But the public marketplace of ideas is, uh, let's just say, an off-the-rack sale now. <laughs> and uh, I choose not to uh, play. But we'll pick Ben's brain, see what he thinks about the uh, impeachment and all that. What else are we doing today, young Christian? Well, I just uh, take... I started early. So, I heard. Because I have a, a, a hankering for some uh, chicken for lunch. There's a place up here that makes this nice chicken. It's I, I wouldn't say it's, uh, where's the best chicken I ever had? I went two places. There's a small chicken they make in the inner harbor of Stockholm. That was so good and juicy, I can't remember. And then uh, Grant Akats at his just state-of-the-world restaurant next, where he does a certain era and a certain theme, and I think he rotates it out three times a year, when he did, um, what what was it called? Woody Allen depicted it so beautifully in Midnight in Paris. Uh, La Belle Epoque, uh, Paris. He did a pressed chicken that was so moist. Uh, that was the theme, uh, like 1899 uh, Paris. And uh, would that have been it? Yes, 1899 Paris. And uh, I, I believe it was titled, I might have the, I'm always bad with the pronouns for uh, fr- French stuff, but Le Belle Epoque. See, in, in France, actually, the whole transitioning thing uh, works better because everybody's all fucked up when on their pronouns anyway. I think you have to memorize each one individually. Yeah, and you can go le la le over there in a second. So uh, it's easier for you know if uh, your friend uh, uh, Jean Pierre comes in and uh, he's all of a sudden you know wearing the beret uh, a little more snug down over his ears. Uh, <laughs> It's easy to go from, hey, Le Jean, to, to La Jean, or if he's transitioning, Le Jean. Or you could just um, give an old, Le Lady Le. Or you can go the traditional way. I always, I, I like a nice uh, orthopedic surgeon approach to language, so I would go hard drive and say, if his name was, uh, if her name was JP, I w- and she became a man, I'd call her JPP. And uh, if it became a guy named JP who became a woman, I'd just say, hey, Jay, get rid of the PP. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. <laughs> what are we going to do today? Well, before we uh, obviously get to... Uh, oh, wait, I young... wrote a joke. Oh, that's, that's worth getting to. Um, this is not what a genius Trump is. He set Baron Trump up with Greta Thunberg. And now that she's flying first class, all that 
environmental shits fall into the side. She's with a handsome young guy who's rich, has his own private jet, his dad's president. So that was the way Trump dealt with the environmental setup as he set Baron Trump up on a cotillion date with Greta Thunberg. She should have a Vaughn in there. I think it would work better. You know, if you die of coronavirus, Christian, yes. they put you in an open casket and put a lime in your mouth. <laughs> the coronavirus. <laughs> hey, I just signed my power of attorney over to the family from Parasite. Do you think I made it? Was that <laughs> I think that's All right. Those, those are the jokes I wrote since the last show. These are the jokes, folks. And by the way, uh, just uh, recommending something for 10 minutes and then having to turn it off and flee in terror. There's a documentary somewhere out there. On, I think it was Showtime or the movie channel, one of the, not HBO, but one of the other ones that come in your DTV package called Scotty and the Secrets of Hollywood about a guy named Scotty, I think his name's Bellows or fellow, he was a male gigolo, mm -hmm. gay gigolo. One Is of the craziest the documentaries I've ever seen. Really? And a hoarder. With five homes, like, uh, you know, like uh, almost like uh, weather underground safe houses where he stored all this crazy stuff. And he'd have to dig through, you know, all these rolling pins to find pictures of Cary Grant and Randolph Scott. And just so matter of fact about who was gay, who he set up, uh, pictures of him at parties at like George Cukor's house with on old... Uh, you know, when they used to hold those handheld cameras, Super 8 or whatever it's called, just sitting there naked, jerking off. And they blur his penis out. It's just so funny. He, he well, looked, you know. Well, like I'm out he, now. It's not even good until that. It's a big blur. But you see him smiling and everybody else walking around naked at these parties with canapes. And he's just sitting there jerking off this big blur. Unless that's his penis. Which, you know, some sort of nanotechnology penile swarm. Where, you know, a bunch of tiny penises come together like uh, AIs and, you know, form and flocking. Yeah, it's a flock of seagulls. Oh, that guy's a great flock. Uh, Scotty nice Bowers is the gentleman's flock. name, by Scotty the way. Scotty Bowers. I watched it for 10 minutes. I was just gobsmacked. And then I, you know, my wife and I were just sitting there laughing, going, can you believe this exists? Why haven't I heard of this guy? And there's something about his matter-of-fact nature and the pictures he has and all that that you just believe. It's the first time I've just definitely in my head believed that Cary Grant and Randolph Scott were gay together because he said he was in four ways with him. You know, it's funny. He's old now in the way he talks about it. It's just so funny to hear this old man being a gigolo who worked out of this gas station and just fucked everything that moved in Hollywood. Mostly guys, it sounds like. At 10 minutes when they got to the party at the makeup guy's place and they had the old footage of it and he's just sitting there jerking off. I said, I can't watch this. I'm, I'd go to hell for watching this. But give it that 10 minutes because it's funny as hell. It's uh, currently airing on Stars with a Z. Yeah. Well, Christian, I don't even know if you're a father now. You probably can't bring yourself to watch that. But it's because uh, it's... <laughs> it's just from a dark place. I mean, what, gay's dark? No, no. no, no, no. The hoarding... The indiscriminate age, you kind of hate him that he's being this candid. But then he says, well, he said, I never talked when anybody was alive. I never would have. And he took it to the grave. He said, but, you know, they're all dead now. And then he talks with a lot of the other gay gigolos who worked at the gas station with him, and they're all old men now. No. So in other words, they show pictures of these guys all at the gas station. It's like uh, Team America Cock Squad or something. <laughs> And now, you know, he goes to visit them and uh, 
Sherman Oaks, and they open the door, and they're in walkers. Hey, Scotty, come in. He said, Johnny, you, you, uh, didn't you didn't you tell me a Cole Porter lined you and 14 other guys one night and blew you? This is the documentary. <laughs> yeah, Cole wanted 15. He sucked us all off right there. Can I get you something? They all live in bad apartments. Oh, Jesus. It's so crazy. Wow. It's crazy. I feel like Heston. It's a madhouse. Well, now we know what Cole Porter meant when he said anything goes. <laughs> it is the lovely. Oh, my God. Is and that when you know you're really gay when you've blown a dozen strangers? And yeah, ten. Ten, blown, you're not sure. Yeah, you've blown... Does the phrase Baker's Dozen pop into your head as you blow the 13th guy? And he happens to be the one you're enjoying most, and you think, 13th is anything but unlucky. And you think, God, maybe I should just stop here. I've had two witty rejoinders as I've blown this 13th stranger. You think, nah, I got the 15 guys up here. I don't want to make him feel, you know, imagine you're the 14th kid. How yeah. suicidal are you, the 14th gas station jockey? And he's in, you know, I've blown enough strangers. I'm out. And you're sitting there. Well, clearly, Cole Porter never blew Do I get strangers. paid? <laughs> and the only reason I don't want to see that movie, Dennis, is because I've already lived it. So why would I want to watch it? Oh, I'm so grimmed out right now. For some reason, my armpits are coming really tight to my body. Squeeze <laughs> myself like a, like a, I don't want to be number 14 tube of toothpaste. Oh, Christ, it's so grim. All right. What do we, well, so before, give that a tumble yeah. if you uh, need to break out in some sort of hive. Because <laughs> I've got a, I've got two hives around my eyes right now. I feel like the uh, our gang dog. Picture your face in the mirror. Do you see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How's about the crow's feet? <laughs> or those large Louis Vuitton under-eye bags? Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone. In minutes. It's called Plexiderm. Clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags. And it does it in minutos. That's uh, pigeon Spanish for minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? I didn't either, until I tried it. Now, I don't have to imagine anymore. My under-eye bags, my wrinkles, my crow's feet, they were all gone in minutes. And the best part is Plexiderm, or Plexi as I call it, because we're buds now, goes on clear so nobody will know you're using it, unless you tell them. And the effects last for hours. Go to tryplexiderm.com. Not try as in three-headed, but try, T-R-Y, plexiderm.com, and use my code MILLER for 50% off, an additional $10 off. Go to tryplexiderm.com, T-R-Y, not T-R-I, and use my code MILLER for 50% off, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off, plus... An extra 10 bucks off. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get rid of your wrinkles, your under-eye bags, your crow's feet, and do it all today and do it all in minutes. Visit tryplexiderm.com and use code MILLER at checkout.
That's try, once again, T-R-Y, not T-R-I, T-R-Y, Plexiderm.com, or call 800-685-1292, and I thank you. What else do you want to talk about? Well, actually, our friend Ben Shapiro is on the line right now. Joining us now, Ben Shapiro of thedailywire.com. He hosts the Ben Shapiro Show podcast and his syndicated radio show, which I'm lucky enough to be on every few weeks. We always have a good time. And the thing I've noticed about Ben <laughs> Christian over the years that I've known him is he was always such a demure young man, and he always was smart, as smart sure. as a whip smart. Absolutely. But he's turned into quite a comedian. There's like a couple times during an interview, he'll make me laugh out loud. Oh, with, uh, I don't think he should get to the open mics. He's the author <laughs> of the number one New York Times bestseller, the right side of history. Young Ben, how are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? Fine, thank you. Listen, just a, a quick meta question. I, I know you have children. I don't know all that much about your life, but you, you, when you go to work each day, there's the business part of it, and there's the entertainment aspect of it. But I assume a guy like you, and I always think of you as a serious-minded young man, you're you're indefatigable because I assume you're fighting for your the future of your kids' country, right, to some degree? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the battles that are happening right now that we usually fight on the culture war front are really deeper philosophical battles, and so I spend an awful lot of time thinking about uh, what exactly is this country going to be, and you and I have talked about it before, why there are so many sort of leading conservatives in California, and it's because we get to see from the inside how terrible things are going to be in very short order. <laughs> and so I look at this state, and I think, OK, well, this could be like the entire country for my kids. And even if I move, they might not be able to escape it if, if California were to become the country. So that's a pretty good impetus to, to get to work. Yeah, I'll say. Listen, I, I have an odd theory and I've espoused this and people kind of think I'm just being a crank. But I think when they lost, uh, when Hillary lost that night in an odd way, they won because I'm not even I'm pretty sure that night in her apartment when she didn't show up at the Javits Center, that they were plotting what's going on now. So in an odd way, I think they're loosed from the bounds of the bonds of uh, protocol, decorum, history. And I think that shows out. I cannot believe that we're at this impeachment thing now. And I can't believe that on the right side, and I mean that capital and lowercase r, that McConnell's even... I, this just seems like a complete sham to me, Ben. It will there it be is. an impeachment it's, it's, of every it's president time. from here It's been on? obvious since the very outset that the Democrats wanted to impeach him day one. And then they were just looking for some sort of hook that they could hang their hat on. So first they tried the Russia stuff and that failed. And then there was this this big confab over at the New York Times where the the heads of the New York Times were talking about how to shift their, their journalistic resources around after the Mueller report. And they said, OK, well, I guess we'll just focus on the racism beat because that obviously will hurt Trump the most. And then immediately they shift over to the Ukraine beat. And it's, it's like they've just been looking for an excuse to get this done. And then, sadly for them, it turns out that they don't have the goods. See, this is the thing that's, that's so amazing about the, the impeachment. The impeachment charges themselves don't allege any crime. Now, you can do that. Or you can impeach for a ham sandwich. I mean, there's, there's really no, there's no actual rationale required by the Constitution. But typically, you want to allege some sort of criminal conduct such that people actually believe that the president did something impeachable. And here you can't get a single Republican on board. And so now the new Democratic scam is Republicans are obstructing the evidence that supposedly was sufficient to make the impeachment happen in the first place. So the House could impeach on the basis of no evidence. Now that it gets to the Senate, the Democrats are like, well, why won't you let us gather evidence? And, and you're saying to yourself, wait a second, you controlled the House process. The whole thing feels ridiculous. I was ranting today on my show about Chief Justice Roberts, who is overseeing this. 
And there was one point where Jerry Nadler, who's just terrible, and Pat Cipollone, who's the attorney for the White House, were going at each other. And then Roberts steps in. He says, gentlemen, gentlemen, this is an august body, the Senate, and we can't have you going at it like this. And I just was thinking to myself, okay, so they're not allowed to fight in the war room. That, 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 <laughs> gentlemen, we can't, yes. we can't fight like this. This is the war room. And, like, this is how stupid our politics have become. You want more Trump? They're going to get more Trump this way. They really are. The, the faux seriousness, the kabuki theater of it all. And there's Trump who's just sitting there in Davos saying about Jerry Nadler, yeah, the guy's a schmuck. And he'll just say it. He'll just say it right. And everybody's like, okay, well, I guess I'll take the guy who's honest and not full of it over the rest of these jokers. Yeah, as I've said ad nauseum, I think, probably about Trump, I, I think the reason Trump's successful is his outer voice, as rough around the edges as it is, is an entirely accurate depiction of his inner voice. And I don't think most other people in the public scene that you even know what their inner voice and outer voice have never even met each other. So I think that's why Trump cuts through and uh, is in, in the process very cutting. I thought the same thing about Roberts, where he reprimanded both sides for uh, calling each other traitors and liars. And I was just thinking, when will somebody in history, obviously it's not Roberts, you could see the moment Roberts got in, he decided to do the... God, it's a, he almost did his equivalent of it depends what is, is, when mm -hmm. he did the fine versus tax thing. Uh, and is the guy, quite frankly, who put the paddles and resuscitated Obamacare. So I don't trust Roberts. But for him to lecture both sides, when is somebody going to lecture one side and say, this is crazy what you've done here, Democrats? And everybody's yeah, going to be impeached from, from here Roberts, on in. Obviously. And, and the, the whole problem with this entire thing is that we have now undermined the 2020 election to the point where there is no result in that people will actually respect. So if you're a Republican, you're going to look at, at the 2020 election. And if Trump were to lose, you're going to say the Democrats gamed the system. Right? They, they pushed forward a false impeachment charge. They spent two years using their media allies to push forward the nonsense about Russia in order to undermine Trump. And then they got what they want. And that's unfair. And then on the other side, you're going to have the Democrats who are literally claiming openly that if Trump is not impeached, he's going to steal the election. I mean, they're not even hiding the ball at this point. Val Demings, who's one of the House impeachment managers, she says that if Trump is not impeached, then he will have cheated in the election because he will have tried to delay the workings of justice. And they're claiming that Trump is, is using the Ukrainians to steal this election. Again, when you get to the point where both sides have basically decided that elections are illegitimate, and when one of those sides is attempting to use any election they win as an excuse to cram down massive government on everybody else and any, and any election they lose, as an excuse to condemn their opponents as traitors. I honestly don't know how the country is here in 50 years, at least in, in current form, if things continue this way. No, there's a new book I just downloaded called Secession, and I do want to read it because I'd love to hear somebody coming up with a an interesting way that we all meet at the Mississippi River and pick albums that we get to keep because I do think it's heading that way. We're talking to Ben Shapiro. He hosts the Ben Shapiro podcast and the syndicated radio show, and he's the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, the right side of history. Um, I usually have this inner conversation with myself where I think I can't believe McConnell hasn't gone to a simple majority in the Senate because the moment they take the Democrats take that back over, of course, that's going to be what they do in the future. The only thing I know now is there's a coda conversation to that where I think the Democrats and this might not happen, but they've been so horrible about this and so unprecedented and they've so missed the point is they could go the way of the Whigs if they get their hat handed to them to any large degree where we get the House again and above 60 in the Senate. I, I think they put themselves in danger of that. Do you think that at all? Uh, I mean, I think that it, it depends who they nominate. 
And it depends, you know, what happens. So let's say they nominate Biden, which is probably the most likely scenario at this point. And then they win the and then they lose the presidency and they lose the House and they keep losing the Senate. They could go the way of the Whigs, but not in the way that anybody would like to see. Right. You could see the Democrats go the way of the Whigs and be replaced by a full on labor Bernie Sanders, AOC Socialist Party. And then your two choices become a big government Republican Party and a an endless government Democratic Party that wants to see America destroyed on the world stage. That that would be, I think, the frankly most likely scenario at this point. I think the future of the Democratic Party is not moderate. I, I wish it were. I, I really wish that that I thought that the future Democrats were going to rein this thing back in and say, listen, we've gone too far. We've left the American people behind. But that's not where the energy is in the Democratic Party. The the fact that you've got you know, leftist luminaries like AOC and Ta-Nehisi Coates sitting on stage with one another, explaining that we have nothing to fear from government, that government is us, literally a quote from AOC, so we have nothing to fear from the government, that anybody who has earned a billion dollars didn't actually earn it. No one in history has apparently earned a billion dollars. They've only taken that billion dollars. And Ta-Nehisi Coates is just sitting there nodding along. I just thought to myself, like, if this is the future of the Democratic Party, this country is in for, for, for even scarier times. You know, we're watching the same things and perceiving them in the same way. I flatter myself there, but I said to my wife, you know, what she just said is just shy of from each according to his ability to each according to his need. It really is turning into a textbook communist. No, it really uh, isn't. And this is, again, this is why I think that you know, Trump has the support base that he does. So if you're on the left and you hate Trump, the reason you hate Trump is because you believe that President Trump is the murderer of American politics, that American politics was basically wonderful until Trump came along. We lived in this wonderful halcyon era of Barack Obama, golden age of rhetoric. Everybody got along. Like, I know you and I look at this and I'm like, hold up a second. Like, none of that's true. But for, for Democrats, there are a lot of people who thought that, that this was like the great moment and that they would never lose another election. The intersectional coalition had come together for good. And then here comes Trump and he just beats that to death with a club. And then there's the rest of America who says, okay, American politics was already fundamentally broken and Trump isn't the murderer. Trump is the coroner, right? Trump is just standing over the body and he is saying, right, this body is dead. And he's noting mm. the body is dead. And so for people who see Trump as the coroner, you know, his various sort of excesses, right, he's just, he's just making clear what was already true. He's just saying it louder. For people who thought that American politics was hunky-dory just a few years ago, they're the ones who've been hit with this whiplash and they're responding the way that people respond when they have been robbed of their binky. Right? The, the, the precious has been taken from them and they are, and they are now Gollum and they are wandering, they're, they're wandering the Deadlands trying to discover where that, where that has gone. And they are willing to do anything to get that ring of power back because up until a moment ago, they had finally achieved their, their right. uh, endless goals. Uh, see, Christian, what I mean, Binky and Gollum in the same sentence, Ben's uh, working on his uh, catcherizing star set here. I have to say that as honest to God, when I would watch Barack Obama over the eight years, I didn't vote for him either time. I, I voted for uh, two men who, quite frankly, as I view them more, began to think they mattered, too. And one of the reasons I liked Romney and McCain, and McCain had an ego and he was the maverick and all that, but I, I always thought he did the most selfless thing I've ever heard of as a young man. But when he came in and threw the thumb down, I thought, oh, my God, he bought into it, too. He thinks he matters. So I voted for two men who weren't dream dates for me, but certainly they did not answer the call. Trump. I, I make no qualms that I'm not sure Trump's a good man, but I think he's a, a great president. I, I think he's standing and he speaks for America and they might hate that. But I, I'm saying there are people out here who are fond of America. I am. And I think in an unlikely guise, uh, oddly, he's uh, reinvigorating 
that office, but never during the eight years of Obama when I thought he was a bad president. Did I ever think anything, but he seems like a good man, a good family man, and I never wanted him kicked out. That's the thing that boggles my mind. It's literally gotten to the Internet meme now, where is the dress blue or is the dress gold? There's no overlay on the Venn diagram as far as the American voting public. I mean, that, that's exactly right. And the perceptions are completely different, as you mentioned. I mean, if, if you go to the left and you ask them about Obama's presidency, they will tell you that the only and they keep repeating this in the media. The only scandal he had in eight years is that he wore a tan suit. This has actually become a meme. They, they will say this in on CNN, on MSNBC. Like, I was there when his IRS was militarized against conservative 501c3 groups. I was yes. there when the HHS was involved in a fair number of corrupt schemes. I was there I was there for Benghazi. The media pretended none of that ever happened. And now Donald Trump is the most corrupt person ever. And then if you're on the right, you're like, okay, hold up a second. So you're saying that yeah. Trump is deeply corrupt and cracking down on the free press, while Barack Obama was literally surveilling journalists like James Rosen. We're living in these alternative universes, and I'm not sure that there's a way back to anything that that approaches agreement. I think really in the end, the problem is that a lot of these battles that we're fighting on sort of surface level go a lot deeper, and and those and those kind of deeper battles are really for the heart and soul of the country. And instead, we're fighting them sort of at the top of the iceberg when the gap is at the bottom of the iceberg, and that gap is between two very different visions of the country. And there's the founding vision of the country, which is that. There are individual rights that pre-exist government and that government was instituted in order to protect those rights and that if government should overthrow those rights or infringe upon those rights, then government will have destroyed its reason for being. And there's an American culture that suggests that freedom is always to be preferred as opposed to government control as a general rule. I mean, there, there are sort of boundaries to that when it comes to local and state legislation, but as a general rule, we prefer freedom to government <laughs> control. And then finally, there's this perception of American history, which is that American history was rooted in fundamentally true and good ideals in the Declaration and the Constitution, and that we've not always lived up to those ideals, but the, the history of the United States is the development of a people in accordance with those ideals, which is why we are the greatest force for freedom and prosperity in the history of man. And then you have the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that America's philosophy was dead wrong, that there should not be any such thing as individual rights that contravene the community. You see AOC saying this sort of stuff absolutely clearly, and Bernie Sanders will say it absolutely clearly. There are no individual rights. There's only what the community needs, and mm -hmm. that any attempt to, to kind of keep government within boundaries is a mistake because, after all, the government is us. Again, AOC says this stuff absolutely openly. And then there is the culture prospect of this, which is that freedom is not to be preferred, that safety is be, to be preferred to freedom. And that means that if your free speech offends me, then we as a culture should throw you out of the Overton window so that only a very tiny percentage of the population gets to define what everybody else gets to say culturally. We don't have to legislate it. We can just make it that your life is miserable, so you shut the hell up. And then when it comes to American history, you have one side of the aisle that suggests that American history is the Howard's inversion. It's rooted mm -hmm. in exploitation and racism and sexism and brutality and the stealing of land from Native Americans and America's economy is rooted in slavery. This is the sort of 1619 project version. That's the real gap in America right now. All the sort of cultural wars that are being fought at the top of the iceberg are really about that bigger gap. But the problem is for that the left never wants to acknowledge that that gap really exists, mainly because if they do, there are not that many people who actually believe the left version. Right? The left likes to use the language of the right mm -hmm. while, per, while pushing this other agenda. This is what Barack Obama was quite good at. And the right recognizes what the left is doing and tries to call it out, and then the left doesn't like that. So yeah, as long as those two visions are not made clear, I'm, I'm for clarity here. I want to know who's on which side of that particular battle. Once you know that, then you decide which side you're on. Zinn, by the way, nothing sadder than a revolutionary on a pension. 
you know, you never, you never saw, uh, <laughs> you never saw any of the true revolutionaries over the years uh, arguing about a Lipitor copay at a CVS counter and their dotage. <laughs> uh, these guys, they make it all the way into the barn. Self-awareness was given out, parceled out, no doubt, in an alphabetical line. And that's why Zim got such a modicum. And we're talking to Ben Shapiro. The Right Side of History is the number one New York Times bestseller. Just in passing here at the end, I, 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 who is it winnowed? It's winnowed down to a, a pretty white uh, male star chamber, I guess. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's uh, still in there, and Klobuchar somewhat uh, shows still a pulse. But it just makes me laugh that the people at the vanguard are always picking these old cats like Bernie and I really think Biden, I'm not saying this mockingly, I don't think Biden's all there anymore. I, I, he really looks ding to me or like he's a, I know he had some brain injury years ago or something, didn't he? And uh, he just doesn't seem all there. Who do, how do you rate the final five, let's say? I mean, I, I think it's really the final two. I, I think that Warren has been receding ever since she tried to actually create, a, the, the problem for Elizabeth Warren is that her entire candidacy was built around, she's got a plan. But in order for her to capture the Bernie Sanders hearts and minds, she had to grab onto his agenda. Well, the problem is when you try to actually flesh out a plan for Bernie Sanders' agenda, you look like an idiot because there is no plan that can ever achieve right. Bernie Sanders' agenda without you looking completely bat bleep insane. And so she ends up putting out this Medicare for all plan that just falsifies the stats and looks completely nonsensical. And she immediately starts collapsing in the polls because everybody realizes that she is not only a liar, a, a what appears to be a congenital liar, but also that she is is putting out plans that make no sense. So you can say plan as much as you want, but Stalin had one too. It didn't work out great. The, and then you get to, and then you get to Bernie and the case for Bernie is basically the left-wing version of the case for Trump, which is he says what he means. Hmm. Right. I mean, again, so did Trotsky. Like the, the, and, and that was not necessarily a good thing. So Bernie is way too far left for the American public. The polls keep showing this over and over. His agenda is not popular, but at least he's honest and authentic. And then you have Biden who is stumbling and bumbling around. Now, I, I agree he doesn't, he's certainly not all there at this point. I don't know that he has like actual mental deficiencies, but let's just say that he is not at peak Biden form, which was never all that peak. I mean, mm -hmm. let, let's let's face it, peak Biden was never Everest. It was no. more like the hill that's, you know, 300 yards from from the back fence. Anytime your, your a young guy you sort of tells you slowly. he knows his own IQ, that tells you he's patently insecure. And Biden was always one of those guys who profited. Yeah, I mean, the, the, he, he is, he's nothing to write home about. And so that is the one asset that Biden has, which is that right now, the person who is less, who is the least scary, I would say, mm -hmm. is probably going to win the next, next election. Now, if it's, if it's Sanders versus Trump, Sanders is way more scary than Trump. I don't care what Trump has to say about, about grabbing women. I don't care what Trump has to say about any variety of idiotic topics. I don't care what he has to say about Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. Nothing you say is scarier than I want to nationalize all the resources and then make sure that, that the collective owns the means of production. Like that, that yes. is the scariest thing that you can say in a democratic republic. And Bernie is saying it. If it's Trump versus Elizabeth Warren, her dishonesty is patently frightening. Like I think that she is a frightening human being. I think she's deeply dishonest. And so you can make it a referendum about her. If it's Biden versus Trump, the problem for Trump is that it's hard to have a referendum on Biden because can you have a referendum on cream of wheat? Like, really? <laughs> it, it, it's very difficult. Like, to get to get people really jazzed up about voting against cream of wheat is a little bit difficult. I'm not just saying cream of wheat because that may be the only thing that Joe Biden can bite through at this point. I, I'm saying cream of wheat because it's it's just nothing. He's just nothing, right? I mean, he, he, is, he is 
he's Bernie, but not Bernie Sanders. Weekend, like weekend of Bernie's. Like Joe Biden is actually a corpse <laughs> that they have stacked atop a dolly, and they're wheeling him around, and he's just saying things. And everybody's like, oh, look, it's the corpse. And everybody, he's, and, he's Hannibal Feckless. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's, and honestly, that's not a horrible place to be if you're running against Trump. If you're trying to make right. it a referendum on Trump, being a dead guy is actually a great way of doing that because nobody has strong feelings about the dead guy. <laughs> you know, young Ben, there's an old film that you probably haven't seen. And I don't mean old from the 40s. It stars Alan Alden and young Meryl Streep and an old Melvin Douglas. It's called The Seduction of Joe Tynan. It's about an idealist who becomes a senator and how it changes him. But there's an amazing scene in there that is reminiscent of Biden where uh, Melvin Douglas, who is the paterfamilias of the house or the, the, the hill at that point, uh, it, everybody thinks he's a little off. And then at the end, in an important moment, he actually does go off and uh, under pressure from um, Joe Tynan, i.e. Alan Alda, who was his devotee earlier in the film, but realizes he's dangerously out of the loop right now, pressures him, pressures him, and he has a breakdown. I, I, I swear to God, if they go ahead with Biden, I think that'll happen somewhere in the interim 10 months. I, I just don't think he's up to it. I, I, I don't think he's ever really been pressured to this point. And I think it'll go to unrelenting. And I, I'm not sure he's up to it. Uh, I really think he could crack in front of people. I mean, uh, on the Hunter Biden stuff, he's, he's performed very poorly. Uh, and when, when asked to respond to the Hunter Biden stuff by very friendly media, Trump on stage saying your son is jet setting around picking up 50 grand while being a drug addled idiot. And because his last name is Biden and Trump will actually say that it's going to be hard for Biden to come back from that. And, and I, I do think that uh, Trump's aggression versus Biden versus Biden just being a nothing is going to be tough for Biden. Like right now, if you'd asked me eight months ago, if I thought that Trump was going to win reelection, I would make him uh, a. I would not make him a favorite to win re-election. Now, I would say that he has at least a 50% a fifty shot at winning re-election. I would say maybe higher. There are some new favorable, unfavorable numbers out from Monmouth today. And it mm -hmm. shows that Trump is at 43% favorable, 55% unfavorable. Not a single Democrat is above 42% favorable. Joe Biden is at 42% favorable. Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. is at 41% favorable. In that competition, the incumbent wins. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you, I, I think uh, Trump, by a wide margin at this moment, and I, I, I can see sort of the the panic where they're insistent that it could never happen again on the left. But I think even they sense at some point because he's just out clevering them. I don't know if it's Stephen Miller or I, I don't know who it is behind the scenes, but somebody is giving him great moves. And I've got one for him, Ben. If you do talk to anybody in the Trump administration, tell him he should set his son Barron up with Greta Thunberg. And the moment that she's uh, dating young Baron, the handsome young jet setter, and he's on, she's on the private jet. She'll drop all this other stuff, and he will win the environmental <laughs> battle right there. So that would that, be that uh, is that is the weirdest plot to when Harry met Sally I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Good to talk to you, Ben. And Dennis, be well. Bye bye. <laughs> he's gotten so funny. Yeah. I mean, really? They want their binky? Jesus. That was nice. The, uh, yeah. Lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. All right. What uh, what are we doing, Christian? I think I started early today. I'm thinking I'm going to go out and catch a little lunch because I'm famished. We I, good? You know what? I, I think uh, this would be a, a great time for you to go to lunch. Uh, we'll talk at you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Dennis Miller Option, exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Oh.